Hello and welcome back to Wavemaker Talks, a podcast discussing a range of positively provoking topics to get us all thinking about how we can unlock, maximize and transform both personally and professionally. This season, we're celebrating Black History Month with our Black and Proud series hosted by me, Bella. And me, Lovelyn. Over the four episodes, we'll be looking at how Black history is taught in schools, navigating 2020 as a Black person, and reflecting upon a range of experiences and identities in advertising and media. In this episode, we are joined again by our seasoned vet, Andrea Davies, Client Operations Director for Wavemaker Global, Rochelle Watson-Hill, Growth Director for Wavemaker UK, and Naja Bellin-White, recently appointed Global CMO of Vice Media. As we dive into our experiences of being Black employees in advertising and media. This episode is very near and dear to my heart as we have a panel of three fantastic Black women. You hear about the impact of the intersectionality of being both Black and a woman, as well as how this compares to being a Black man in the industry. So grab your tea, super malt or spice punch, and let's get into it. I mean, if you guys did not notice, we have very powerful women in the house today. So we thank God, we thank God, you know. You were raised well, you were raised well. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good to have you guys. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Um, We shall be looking, like Lovelyn said, at our industry and how we feel about the current state of it. So just a first question I'd like to pose to the room is, how does it feel being a black employee in media in 2020? I think it's changed quite a lot when I first entered the industry, which was um, about 10 years ago, I think. Um, I joined the industry in a uh, sort of media headhunting role, um, looking after C-suite clients. And I remember, um, I remember, we, I was at this event, and it was just full of white middle-aged men. I was probably the only black person in the room. So I feel like in 2020, it's a lot different. Just walking around the office, I see people that look like me. There's much more representation. Um, so I think it's a lot different to what it used to be. I think the tide is changing, but it's still quite difficult. I still have to deal with quite a lot of insecurities, imposter syndrome, you know, making myself feel sure that I'm, I feel confident and I feel that I should be in the room representing black women, I suppose. Naja, how do you feel? I feel like I'm probably the veteran around the table. I've been in the industry for over 25 years and I've worked across um, every continent except for Australia. And strangely enough, whether it was a CEO of Africa or an MD in North America and South America or heading up client services across EMEA, um, you never get over um, the idea of being the only. Mm. Um, It always takes a bit of courage when you get into the room and although some clients will say they don't see color, um, we all do know that feeling when you walk into the room and you know that's the first thing they see. And so there's always, um, I remember once I was told, well, you know, why do you always have to, um, you know, let everyone know how intelligent you are or let everyone know, um, you know, that that you know what you're doing. I mean, it just kind of comes through. And I think what people don't understand as a person of color is that you have been um, probably um, undervalued um, for so long 
where people underestimate what you bring to the table. So you almost develop this armor um, in which to operate. And, and certainly that's allowed me to survive successfully for 25 years, but also thrive and create a different environment for the people that work for me around the world. So that's a bit of my perspective. I, I am known for someone who breaks glass and that means challenging clients on their bias, whether or not they feel comfortable, they know that that's who I am. And, uh, and um, it's something that I will always continue to do in my career. On that, you said um, something about, I don't see color or not seeing color. How do you guys feel about that phrase? Personally, I think it's, it's well-intended, but I don't really think some people quite understand um, oh, yeah. what that means and the backlash of it. So what do you guys think about the phrase? I think it's unhelpful. Yeah. And I say that because if you don't see something, you can't you're not choosing to understand it. Yeah, it's very unhelpful. I think it's something that has been used to make people feel good and to make them feel like a good person. Um, but it was made by the people that it was not intended for, if that makes sense. So it wasn't, I don't believe that a black woman decided that she was going to tell people, oh, it's okay, you don't, you don't see colour, that's okay. It was the other way around. And I think that we're coming into an age now specifically where we're having this discourse, where we're talking about colour, we're talking about race, ethnicity, nationality in a much broader sense. And we're saying, actually, we do see it and we do see the differences and we do see the beauty in it and we do see the complexities in it. And I think that is so much more helpful for not only the people that are of a certain colour, nationality, race, ethnicity and so forth, but also for the people that aren't because... Mm -hmm. We don't have all the answers and it's under, being open enough to want to understand somebody else. And I think that's currently where we're at, which is quite, it's quite interesting to see where this goes. Um, and obviously why we've all even come together today to talk. I think there are differences between um, the cultural nuances of what's comfortable here in the UK versus what I see in the US and even what I've seen on the continent. Um, where, you know, discussing color, color, race has been uncomfortable here. It's not something that people talk about. Um, it's often the place where I hear people say to me, I don't see race, which means that you actually do see race because we're having the conversation about it. So you know that that's bullshit. And I'm being a believer that, you know, and, and you've got to take it for face value. People have to be committed to work together. I'm not saying it's got to be perfect. But I don't think any of the leaders on this call are not committed to making it better, right? I think where we have a challenge and a problem is with the persistent systemic bias that continues to prevail in our industry. That's what's frustrating. It's in the clients and the decisions they make. Well, you know, they have two sets of standards, one for people like us and one for others. That's really where change needs to make. And that's why we need people represented at all levels not just in front of the camera, which is what people love, but behind the camera too, at the media agencies, at the creative agencies, um, in leadership, who are really be committed to making this change so that this, this, this moment around Black Lives Matter, this moment around diversity and inclusion, just doesn't become a hashtag, but rather something that prevails on an ongoing basis. Amen. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is something with us being somewhat of a creative industry that people hide behind that. So like you would expect like bureaucracies held what upheld in like law and finance. It's like, oh, okay, those are really racist industries because of their history and how long they've been going. But people look at advertising like, no, come on, we're trying. Look at look at our ads. That's oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do think people assume that we are all in the most creative industry, so we don't deal with some of those biases. But one thing I've always maintained is that all of us have the burden and privilege of representing how we come across, right? In, in how we are portrayed, how young Black boys, young Black girls um, are portrayed in media. We have a hand in that. And so one of the challenges I've always put forth to my team is imagine that you are marketing to your niece or to your daughter or to your son or to your friend's daughter. You know, are you taking the same care and consideration um, that you would under those circumstances? And it's a challenge that should not just be the burden of, of Black people, it should be the burden of everybody. And that's truly how you get to parity in an inclusive industry. Something that's just been sparked to mind through this conversation is um, the idea of being that challenge. Um, so in my team, I work in the TV team, and I am the only black person in that team. When it comes to, say, a campaign that isn't representing my people correctly, and I, I use me as just like a point of reference. How would you think is the best way for me to go about raising that issue and trying to make a change for that campaign without, say, stepping on the toes of my superiors? I'm going to call on Rochelle. That's a really hard one because, as we all know, being in media, there's nuances in every team. How, you know, the people that are superior to you and your team are their lens, how they see things, how they are when they're confronted with ideas, creative input. So I think nuances aside, there is something about the fact that you are a valid team member and your lived experiences should be valued by the client and by the landscape of which we operate in. And in that respect, that's what your work is. That's what your job is. So firstly, you should feel comfortable and supported by your management and your team to speak up but that's not always the case. And it's not as simplistic as it sounds. So in that respect, I do think there is about communicating something from a lived experience. Because if I was to create, obviously I work on pitches. So if I'm to create a pitch and we're working with a brand that is specific to sexuality and there's a nuance that I don't understand, I would welcome anyone's input. Because the last thing I want to do is upset or offend. So it should be encouraged. And I definitely think how you approach that is based on the people within your team. But you should, at least in a professional manner, be like, I've got some ideas I think are really useful for this. Can we sit down and hash this out? And I don't see why that should be an issue for anybody. When it's about work, it's not personal. It's about the work. And I think it's very easy when something is intrinsically linked to you to bring a lot of yourself into that, which in order to protect yourself, your own mental health, your own well-being in the workplace, you need to separate it a bit. Like, this is for the work. This isn't a reflection of you as a young black man. This isn't that reflection right now. It's about what's best for the client work and the work that you, you want to be connected to. Yeah, I, I completely agree with R Rochelle on that. I mean, one of the things I've always done is, you know, being at a creative agency, you have to really think about the insights that go into the work. And I challenge my teams. And when they come up with ideas that I think are based on biases or just wrong, I ask the question, well, who did you talk to? Where did you get this information from? Makes you think this bias is correct. Everything about this is culturally inappropriate. 
And oftentimes people get really upset, right? Because they're like, well, that's not fair. I'm like, again, did you do your homework? You know, like, and so I think when it comes to our culture, people tend to really use cultural appropriation quite a bit and assuming that this is cool. I was talking to my friends, you know, I saw it, so therefore I did it. And then people like us see it and we're like, what is that? Like, you know, when, what, what was that brand that had the monkey in the window? Do you guys remember that? Yeah, H&M. Yeah. Who thought that was a good idea? Seriously. Who yeah. sat, I, I guarantee they didn't have any of us at the table because we would have said, really? Is that what you think is a good idea? And because there are not enough of us around the table, no one challenged that. Or if we are at the table, we're afraid to challenge it. And why are we afraid? And until we start being a bit more brave and still or, until organizations recognize the fact that challenging doesn't mean disrespecting, it means making sure that you have your data correct. Until you understand that we are all not the same. Nigerians are different than Kenyans and different than, Ken than um, someone from you know, Gambia is different from North London or South London or East London or the US. We're not all the same. We have a lot of the same inspirations, but do, do your homework before you come at me with what you think are the unconscious biases that you grew up with. And that's, that's always been my perspective on things rightly or wrongly, doesn't always make me popular, but certainly they know if I'm looking at something, I'm gonna raise the eyebrow if it feels wrong. <laughs> I see you <laughs> I told you, I told you I wasn't gonna, uh, you know, wasn't gonna be politically so. correct today. I wasn't holding back. There's something um, interesting, sorry, I just wanted to um, add because both Andrea and, and Naja mentioned about being the only one and what it looks like being a black employee in media in, you know, 2020. And it's quite interesting that when I started back, probably about 10 years ago as well, similar to Andrea, I was the only one. And there were, it's always been like the only one in the team or maybe one other, one other person, if you're lucky. And it's weird that that's still the case today. Oh, 25 so years. Imagine yeah. 25 years ago, how lonely. Stark. It was so hard. I can tell you stories that would make you cry. And I was just, you know, what kept me going was exactly all of you. But crazy. Think about how long I've been in the industry and it's not moved that much. When Karen Blackett and I first met each other, there was this moment we were both like, oh my gosh, where have you been? Like, it was like immediate, like, what? And like the love was immediate because we, we, we spoke this, this, this invisible language of, I give you all the respect in the world because I know that your path here has not been easy, right? And it was an immediate respect to each other. And I, and I, I love my sister, Karen, and I love the fact she's killing it, not just because she's a black woman killing it. She is the very best. And I tell my, my teams around the world, this person is who you look to as the example of excellence. Mm. And your difference is the fact that black, white, green, or whatever, you are excellent. And that's what we should all strive to be. And I think she and I came together because of that. But we were also equally like, and is why are we the two most senior people? How is that possible? And that's crazy, right? It is wild. That's crazy. You need allies on all sides. 
Mm. And which is why mm. I, say to, I say to people, and I've said this in speeches I've given, pay attention to the allies that look like you and pay attention to the allies that don't. Honestly. Sometimes your biggest advocate may be the person that looks like the most conservative one in the room, mm. right? And just because someone looks like us doesn't mean that they're on our side either. So you gotta go beneath color and look to character and not, and not be afraid. Why are we so damn afraid? Mm. It shocks me. And it's interesting. I remember I was telling you, um, Fela, about this gentleman I met um, when I first came to the agency. And one of the people said, oh, could you talk to him because he lived in Grenfell houses or whatever. And I spoke to him and he, his aspiration was to only be, I think, like a, a project manager. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But I started probing him. What else do you want to do? Do you have any other aspirations beyond project management? Why is it that's where you, your career has stopped? Did you know you can do this? And he was like, well, you know, my mom's a teacher. I'm like, your mom's a teacher. I said, do you know you have these people out here thinking that you come from a very different background? Mm -hmm. You're telling me your mom's a teacher and your dad does this. So why do you have these people out here thinking that you're some poor Don Trotting kid that can't do whatever? And I scolded him. I said, why haven't you finished university? He's like, well, I didn't. I said, well, okay, let, let's just change what this is. You need to. Make sure you enroll. I don't want to hear that you're not. Your aspirations need to be quite large. And stop sitting here telling me these folks think that you don't want to do anything. Honestly. He was like, <laughs> I, was like I, I said, I don't want to see you at this agency in six months. You don't belong here right now. You belong I'm, out there getting more experience. And he's not there right now. Hopefully I'm, he's in university. Real talk. Real talk. Naja, that's why I love you. Like, everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody knows that I love you here, so I'm just going to say it for the podcast. What about your other guests? My Oh, I love you guys as well. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. my bad, my bad. Equal, equal love for everyone. But Naja, you know, she, I mean, I would call Naja my mentor for sure. Like, you know, I've been to Naja and she, 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 she almost sent me back to university. Like, I almost did. I was like, what are you doing? Did. Yeah. <laughs> get your ass back to studying. And I, was just well, what I, was like, I can't be doing that. I was like, do you want me to get your mother? Do you want me to get them on the phone? I'm going to tell them what you should be doing. <laughs> and, you know, it just, it just speaks back to that, you know, having allies and knowing who your allies are and, you know, really go, get into their character rather than just people that look like you. So I completely agree with the, you know, with trying to find your cheerleaders and your allies and, letting them prop you up and you help prop them up as well yeah i think um it's super important um when there's so few there, of us well speaking of few of us i think there was a question about why there's so few senior black talent and, and black people in the industry it goes on both sides I, I will tell you for sure there is a ceiling i don't want people to mistake the fact that there isn't one because there is and it it's not just on our side but on the clients because remember, when you are facing off against clients at the senior-most level, they come to the table with their own bias. Now, despite what they sometimes post on Instagram um, or whatever square they may do, the truth is they come to the table with their own bias. So oftentimes, it only takes the rare client who sees beyond that, who sees really around your track record and your pedigree and says, well, wow, this person hands down is the most qualified in the room, regardless of her color or gender. And that's why there's so few of us. So I think what ends up happening is many of us tap out and we decide to go on to other organizations where we can make a greater impact while we start our own. 
And so I think in order for us to get to a level of parity that we think is fair, there's got to be changes, significant changes at the holding company side. And there's got to be changes at the clients who are going to demand it as part of the remuneration and the part of the contracts that they're going to see more of us around the table, not just from a token perspective, but because they see us and recognize our excellence. Agreed. Um, my client, a client told me a, a, a really sad story, actually, of when she first started and she saw another black woman, she gave her, you know, she gave her the nod and one just blanked her. Absolutely nothing. And like every time she tried to engage with her, because she was much more senior than she was at the time, this is when she first started in uh, agency side, she just would just get absolutely nothing. And she was like, I've made a commitment from that day that I will never be that person to someone else. Oh, yeah. If like I told you. Coming in. Wow. You know those people, me. you know those people, you look at them, they look at you, you get the blank stare, you're like, oh, okay, so, <laughs> right. okay, so that's I'm just going to keep it. Exactly, that's what this is, that awkward moment, and it takes five seconds for you to realize that you really don't see me, so I'll just go on about my business. That is quite um, long-term in terms of senior positions and how do we get there and et cetera, but what do you guys think are the biggest challenges that we're facing on an everyday basis? So every time you wake up, you turn on your team's laptop or you go into the office, what do you think are your biggest challenges? For me, it's so, I, I deal with a lot of like imposter syndrome, like, am I meant to be here? You know, um, I, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a single mom. I'm um, obviously a woman of color. Um, I also don't have a university degree. So for me, I deal with a lot of sort of internal feelings of, you know, am I going to say something out of place? Is something going to be right? You know, am I bringing something to the table? And I often, I get really frustrated with myself because I think of an idea or I think of saying something and I don't feel confident enough to say it. And then two minutes later, someone else says it and I'm like, oh, you know, I should have said it. That's my biggest challenge as well as obviously at this time juggling COVID and homeschooling and everything else um that's in my career I think that's my biggest challenge and I I've worked quite hard I think to overcome it um so it's sort of work in progress but yeah we move I suppose we move I think for me I found that I I gave up a long time ago I gave up about let's say four years ago when I realized that there wasn't great management in our industry. And I say that from a place of managers that were just about you doing your work to make them look good. You know, they come down on you like a ton of bricks when things aren't going right, when things are going good, they're not on your back. But there's no encouragement, there's no pushing you forward. And I actually, coming back to Nadja's point earlier about the fact that there are allies that don't look like us, I was very fortunate to have a male white manager about six years ago who was incredible in making me step into my power, pushing me to come out of my comfort zone, to do talks at conferences and take clients out, travel around the world, nurturing clients and building reputation for myself and organization that I never saw myself doing before because I had managers that were keeping me small. And it was after that that I decided that I can't keep looking at these organizations that I don't feel are made for me and ex yeah. have expectations. So that's why I trained and I became a coach. One, mm -hmm. to empower myself in my own coaching journey and having a coach um, to support me in my career. But then I felt like that's my calling, that's my purpose because I want other people that were where I was to know that there is a way that you can get support and there's a way that you can invest in yourself outside of your organization because you're gonna have a career whether you work somewhere today or tomorrow. You still 
need to earn a cross, you know, have a life and live and enjoy. So I've built my coaching business and the reason why I do it around my job is because I feel fortunate to have got to a position in the industry and it's now my time to pay back and it's my time to be visible as a black woman and to inspire others to know so they know they can also get there. So I actually even said it on my interview process. I was like, this is my last job in media and advertising. This is the way I see it. This is my last job. This is my last try to come at it hard. I love the industry. I love what we can achieve. I love the creativity that's within it. But this is for me to come and really make my mark and to try and make some sort of change in this industry because otherwise I'm holding myself back. There's only so much you can give. Oh, yeah. I think that you have to recognize um, how much you can progress within a company and know when it's time to fold them. And know that sometimes you got to know when to to go pack it in and, and go make your impact elsewhere. I think my advice to all of you is no matter where you go, make sure that you bring someone along um, and take the time to talk to everybody. Um, everybody can be impacted by your story and that what you do, the most important thing that we can all do is bring other people along. Never be selfish with it because it's only by God's grace that all of us are here anyhow. Let's be very clear about that. Um, so it's really, really important that you take that with you and it's okay to say I'm tired. I mean, hell, you know, Karen and I've talked about being tired. I think she said publicly she's tired. It is exhausting. Um, fighting the good fight all the time. Um, and sometimes you're just like, yeah, you know what? I've done all I can do. And there were people before us and there'll be people after us. But I tell you what, because of the conversations like this, the industry will be better for it. When I look back at my younger self and I remember like, feeling like I was going to have panic attacks at work because of horrible managers that were saying things about me that weren't true and management belittling me and talking to me like I didn't have a brain. Like I was constantly just, I remember asking, why do I need to do this for the client? What is the outcome we want? And my manager's response was, you don't need to worry about that. Just do it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) My brain doesn't work like that. I like to understand my outcomes. I'm a very holistic person. I'm a solutions driven person. So I want to know what is the solution that I'm working towards. That's how people learn. So when, regardless of race or whether you think you like me or whatever, you're paid to do a job, do your job properly. And I think that's the key thing in our industry as well. A lot of people get far because of who they know or how long they've worked somewhere. If you're Mm -hmm. not a good manager, can we please talk about that? Can we please have a moment to talk about the fact that you are not inspiring, motivating and leading your team? That is what I'm interested in. That's where I think this industry needs to actually focus on is how people that get senior manage everyone else that comes in. Because if you've got bad management, regardless of race, any difference, people will leave because you're just not good at your job. I feel like I was really lucky landing where I landed. I had this ally that um, I worked for her. And whenever (coughs) I put that name of that company on my CV, they would call her because she's a really well-known figure in the industry. They would call her and she would give me the most glowing reference ever. And ever since then, as long as, as long as I have her on my CV and I drop her a text to say, someone's going to give you a call for a reference. She gives me the best reference ever. And she has really shaped my entire career, entire life. So I feel really like I can't, you know, emphasize more about having an ally and having those people in your corner. What is the biggest stereotype about black women? 
angry black woman angry black woman i mean it's it's so exhausting because when you start having to change who you are to make everybody else comfortable then you're not who you are and i swear if i hear that oh you're too assertive you're too aggressive you're too dot 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 and it's exhausting and i stopped caring a long time ago because you're never going to be too anything for anybody so you have to be your authentic self at all times. Honestly, if people continue to tell you you're too assertive and too aggressive, and you hear, and I said to somebody once, I challenged this in review, I said, have you spoken to any other black women? Because I would argue that if you talk to all of them, they all have gotten the same comment and feedback. Do you ever think that's a bit odd? Because I do. I've heard it every place I've ever worked in every agency I've ever worked in, every black woman I've ever worked has gotten the same feedback. Does that sound like bias to you or not? Because it sure does to me. And the person said nothing, except for the fact that perhaps he felt like I was being a bit aggressive in that meeting at that time. How ironic. I love that. Oh, you know, you come across like really, really articulate. Like, you know, you speak really well as opposed to what? Sorry. Speaking like I have marbles in my mouth. What does that mean exactly? <laughs> I had so, a little too confident before and that's, that was even more. Oh, yeah. Blowing. You're too, you just come across really confident. I was told, you know, you know, if you can dumb it down a bit, just a bit. Just, you know, everyone doesn't need to know you're the most, the smartest person. Can you just dumb it down just a bit? Really? Is that what you're asking me to do? Because I don't know how to do that. That's, I mean, you want it unfiltered, Fela. That's what you got. <laughs> I don't know where known. this is going to go live. Let I don't know where known. this is going live. They're going to be like, I, let it be known and let it be said. I am having a great time. I think this is going to be <laughs> one of the best episodes that we've had. <laughs> everything that's being spoken about is just real and if you you know if you listen to it and you know you're feeling triggered by it it just tells that you know there's something wrong there like if you're yeah. if you're sitting there and you know black females are telling you how it actually is in this industry and then you want to shy away from it that just you know it speaks volumes like you don't actually have to say anything your actions speaks for itself and i think yeah. there's something about how we respond to that as well because i think you know those comments when you receive them and you're 24 years old to when you receive them and you're 30 plus what it does to you to your actual core is so different it's like yeah. now I, I have the power over myself that when, if someone was to turn around and call me aggressive, I'd say, which part of that came across as aggression to you? Mm. Because I feel like I'm communicating very clearly and calmly to you. So I'd like to understand, I can actually come back in a calm manner and question it without taking it on. You know, when you're mm -hmm. younger, when you're nervous and you're trying to be good at a job, pass probation, do all these sorts of things, those things can really move you. Like they genuinely feel like a core judgment has been made on your character and it's destabilizing. And when you don't have an ally, when you don't have someone in that organization to go to and say, can I have 10 minutes? I really want to mm. sense check something with you. It's, it's a horrible feeling. And being there, I want to now be that person that someone else can come to and say, you know, can I get 10 minutes to talk to you because I'm yeah. a bit concerned about something someone said to me. So I can actually say to that person, what are your thoughts on it? And let that person, and this is where, where like we mentioned before about coaching, mentoring, it's having that sounding board to discuss these emotional responses because not everything needs to be an emotional response. Not everything, we can't allow yeah. everything to call us out of ourselves. Yeah, You know, like I'm not going to 
be that person. I worked so hard. I worked hard in <laughs> work to not allow anybody to call me out. And there's been times, there's been challenging times, but to always remain in my space. Even if I've got to take it home and I've got to think about it, I'm going to control how I react, you know, and mm-hmm. how do we support each other with that? I think it's really important. Yeah, I mean, I you think know? that's why groups like Wavemaker Roots were set up so that we can all have that safe place and those allies, you know, within the business to go and speak to, you know, somebody said something to me, am I overreacting or does that, uh, does that not sit right? Does that not feel right? Yeah, no, 100%. I remember when the Roots team, it was pre the Roots team, when I first showed up in London um, from Africa and they, all the brown babies surrounded me around my desk and they were like, we've got this idea. <laughs> And it's called Roots and it's exactly what you described, Andrea. And I'm so mm-hmm. proud of the fact that Roots grew out of these amazing young individuals and then it's grown across WPP and it's been taken around the world and being, a, being adopted by clients. And I think that people forget how lonely it can be to be the only. And sometimes all you need is someone that you can pull you up and say, am I crazy, but mm. is this bias or is this not? Is this because I really just did that? Like, sometimes you actually just don't know. But if you have no one to talk to, it is really, really hard. And I think part of why we don't have more people in the ranks, and certainly at senior levels, is they don't have people who help them. They just kind of let most of us just fester and fluster and then just kind of fizzle out. And so there needs to be a commitment to not just recruitment, but retention at all levels and coaching as well. Absolutely. I agree as well. How is the Black female experience different to the male Black experience? I am the only man here, so I would like to... You have some other other men on the call. I know. I would love to call upon my brethren in the backgrounds. Toby, our producer, and Anthony, our co-producer for the day. Welcome, gentlemen, to the podcast. How are you feeling? I mean, I can only give my experience in media, which is, what, mm. three, three and a half years. And, like, for me, it's a whole, it's a, it's a big culture shift. So from drinking to staying out late to the, to the way I speak to different people in my team, it's had to change. And I think, like, it's this term covering, like, having to cover in different situations, in different scenarios, is a big thing as a, as a black male, probably as a black female as well, but I think covering is a huge part of my early media experience. And then let, finding myself and like just being myself more in the last year, which has probably helped me to progress in my role. But I don't know if, I don't know if that's what you're looking for. Now, um, when you say covering, what exactly do you mean, bro? So just like the language, the language you use, I remember the first day I moved agency and I spoke to my new manager, just to break the ice, I was like, what are we saying? Like, literally just like, what are we saying? And she looked at me like, what do you mean what are we saying? I was just like, okay, that vibe, that that is yeah. not, that's not gonna run today. Like, that's not how we communicate here. So it was just like, it put me back in a, like a big shell and like just having to learn like how to communicate with people, how to speak on email, how to, talk to managers, how to talk to senior leaders. It's just my character slowly coming out after that. But yeah, covering covering is big in this industry and I think it's still present for everyone. We come from a certain background where 
you know, we, these things aren't learned before we get to this sort of stage in our life. So you come into an agency and you are, say, I mean, I was very loud. I, when I came into the agency, I've also got like three or four years experience. And I started off in finance. Finance wasn't really doing it for me. So I moved into media and just, you know, learning to, you know, have the vernacular of, oh yeah, you're right, mate. That's that sort of stuff that I would have never said, yeah, you all right, mate, before I came to this agency. And that, that's just the truth about it. Like you have to learn, it's sort of a defense mechanism to, you know, allow yourself to, you know, not be looked at funny or not be judged in a certain way because of where you've grown up or where you've come from. So Toby, what, what was your sort of experience from a black male perspective? Uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of similar to what Alan was saying. For me, I guess the thing that I found most shocking is that like growing up in London and then like working in London are like completely different experiences, which I never really would have, I guess, thought growing up. Because the whole thing is like, obviously you go to school, go uni, get a good job. And like, you don't know what that good job is or what it entails and that kind of stuff. And growing up like in my school, it's very multicultural. Everyone's from um, different backgrounds of African, Caribbean, kids, Asian kids, etc. So that's just like the norm and the environment that I'm comfortable in, like being around a lot of different people. So then when you do actually then start working in London, I kind of saw it as, oh, I'm coming back home. Like, I've gone uni outside of London. I'm coming back to London. Oh, yeah, yeah, kind of coming. Not like a homecoming, but, you know, I'm kind of coming back home kind of thing. And you start working in the industry like media. And it's like, oh, this is a completely different London to what I grew up in. I thought it would be fairly similar, but it's not at all. And then that's when you get things like, I'm saying, like, the code switching, like, going to the pub. Like, I never went pub before I worked in media. But then going media, going pub on a Friday lunch, I was like, someone asked me, do you want to go pub Friday lunch? I thought they were joking. I was like, this is a test. Like, I'm going to fail my probation if I say, yeah, it's my first week. They're like, pub? Yeah, we're all going. I was like, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. And then obviously, over time, you start to, like, find out, like, the difference or culture within that. But, yeah, it's obviously very different. I guess what I wanted to ask the panel is obviously within sort of the black male and female experience, there's a lot of similarities in terms of um, code switching, culture, etc. But obviously being a female, there's like the extra layer, I guess, of difficulty on top of that. So I wanted to ask from you guys' experiences, uh, how do you think it's different to the black male experience from what you've seen? Like is the, I know you spoke about the ceiling. Do you think the ceiling for black women is lower than black males and that kind of thing? Um, I think personally, um, as a woman, and I, I'm coming from my own personal experience, but um, men don't have to deal with motherhood. Uh, you know, we have to deal with being a person, woman of color as well as being a woman. Um, I've had two maternity leaves. I've had to work, I think, twice as hard to make sure, you know, with my first child, I only took six months off, no, five months off, because I didn't want to, you know, lose my place of where I was going, etc. So, I think that's probably the biggest difference is that we have to, as black women, we have to deal with being black as well as being a woman. You know, there's still gender biases. So we've got a double whammy. It's my yeah, and the intersectionality. Yeah. That's what you're talking about, essentially, the intersectionality of being black, being a woman, potentially being a mother, being a partner, wife, whatever it may be, is these, it just depends on, I think, with the 
media culture is like an all-in culture where everyone is like best friends they want to spend all their time together and everyone really loves each other and always want to get drunk together which I think is nice and when I was younger it was fun but at the same time now that I'm in my 30s and I'm recently married my priorities have shifted I want to spend quality time with my family with my friends people that are my chosen people so as much as I'm London born and raised so I have every one of my whole entire life around me in close proximity all my family all my friends so I want to go out after work with my people I don't necessarily want to come to the pub with work people not because I don't like the people I work with but I would just like to choose to use my time to be with my people that can be frowned upon in this industry whereas it's like you know You've got to be seen to be a team player. You've got to be seen to be including yourself in all the extracurricular stuff, the drinking, the pubs, any extra stuff that is created by the agency, you've, you're seen, you've got to be seen. And I think that that can sometimes be a culture clash where you do come from a background where family is your most important thing. That's how I'm raised is to, you know, nurture my family first and even friends second to that. So it's very different. It, it, it kind of causes you to not want to be seen to not care but then you know it is it is what it is <laughs> that's kind of the best way to put it I think so I think that as a woman can be very difficult and I don't have children yet and it's something that I've always been it's always been in my mind like oh gosh like how would I even be pregnant at work and not drink and say no to alcohol you know those sorts of things um, and then when you have kids and you need to do less hours and stuff like that it's really hard especially when you're working on pitches to be like oh I need less hours but in my team um, currently there's two women that have children we have a really good manager who understands the dynamics of our personal lives and we all are very supportive of each other. Um, and I also have quite a heavily female team, which I've never really had before in an agency. Um, so I think for that reason, we have connected quite well and we all communicate really openly. We let anyone in the team know whether you have children or not. If you can't do something, we're here to support you. And we don't really shoulder that blame or have that kind of culture in our specific team anyway yeah I mean yeah. for me I mean I've raised two kids and I mean I've, I've done it all I've done it with pregnant not pregnant post-maternity leave pre-maternity leave I mean there's a part of it that's just a fact of being in this business you're going to have to do the networking it's part of what we do um black white green or whatever it's just a fact um cultural stuff or non-cultural stuff you just have to do it and it's it's what you're gonna have to get around in many ways I think for for black males, sometimes it could be a bit easier because guys try to, they rally around sport and sport becomes that, that common language that guys can unify around. That's not always easy for women. Um, and so for a lot of my colleagues in the industry, whether it be here or around the world, football, American or European and African football is what people tend to rally around. And that becomes the common language in which they, they speak. Great, thanks guys. I just have one final question to wrap up. I just thought, let's finish on a happy note. What is one thing that you value, that you think is a strength, a positive, whatever, about being a black woman in media? You can stand out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think you can use your platform to really stand out and to, um, you know, show your, the strength of your differences you know, so the strength of your opinion. Someone once said to me, your greatest superpower is when you walk into the room. And I think for so many um, black women, you forget that your superpower is who you are each and every day. 
and where we tend, when we're, we're afraid to be this great person because people have told us you're too assertive or aggressive, that's when our greatness isn't coming out. But if you walk in proud, like the beautiful, awesome, round girl that you are, that your, your mother and, and aunties have raised, your community has raised you to be, be that. Be that great person and don't shy away from it. If they have a problem, that's their problem. So I would say that it's our superpower and it's what people like about us, which is why sometimes we're attacked. That's what makes us so extraordinary. And that's why they need us in this industry. And that's not arrogant. That's just fact. That's straight facts. Yeah. I literally was going to say the same. I agree 1000% with both of that. It's literally being a black woman. That is your superpower. And the nuance of that is being yourself and being who you are. So the person that you are, like I just said, the community that raised you, your heritage, those things, your experiences, no one else has your experiences. So you can, we can keep trying to look and be, you know, be like, for me, I don't have as much experience as Naja, so I want to look at Naja and be like her. No, I'm going to look at her and be inspired by her. When you're inspired by someone, you take the things that set you, that give you a buzz, you know, that, that energy. So that realness, that genuineness, that spark of character, that humor, you take that and you inspire yourself with it. You don't try to emulate it because that's not going to work. No one wants a copycat. That's not what we're here for. It's about stepping into our power as black women. I mean, what did Maya Angelou say? You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lines. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I rise. I rise. Yeah. And Sister Maya Angelou knew that. So let's embody that and be that and forget everybody else. They don't matter. And that's it for episode three. Thank you again to our guests and thank you to you for listening. Next episode, we'll be talking to the shot callers at Wavemaker as we talk to XCO on their views on diversity and inclusion and their plans for Wavemaker moving forward. Look at us, big guests and flex after big guests and flex. Make sure you join us next week and don't forget to share this podcast on all of your socials. Peace.